0: Let me read the Bible from Luke to first 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar August, Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time come, came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him the clothes and placed him in the in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at the night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, the shepherd, the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all, thing, all these things and pondered them in her, her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as the had been tall. This is the word of the God. Praise the God. Oh, you don't need the...
1: It was about uh, 10 o'clock at night, and I'd been at a meeting at church, driven home, and uh, parked in the driveway. And as I was crossing the lawn to my back door, suddenly this helicopter swooped in overhead, felt like it was only a couple hundred feet above me because I could feel the downdraft, the noise was just... Like you can imagine, you know... I'm looking up thinking, what on earth is going on, right? Just standing there in the middle of my lawn and suddenly this spotlight... Pin me right in the middle of my lawn. I'm standing there in this light, thinking, "Ooh, you know, had all these? You know am I being abducted by aliens? You know, uh, yeah, probably not. But you know, then I had this vision of what the newspaper was going to say the next day. You know, um, rector of Adelaide's oldest church shot, breaking into own home. You know, <laughs> it was just anyway. I thought enough of this, so I rushed to the back door, let myself in. And when I got inside and started to calm down a bit, I could hear this alarm going off somewhere else in the street and I thought, well, if they're not looking for me, they're looking for somebody, you know. So I sort of went around the house, locking all the doors, locking all the windows. It was just one of those sort of heart-pumping sort of moments. Let me uh, ask you, when was the last time you felt really scared? You know, really that sense of sort of, Fear of what was going on around you. Uh, maybe it was the time when you were caught in a thunderstorm. You decided to shelter under a tree, and you're sitting there. You know the lightning and the storm going on. And suddenly, a bolt of lightning comes out of the blue and strikes a tree just about thirty meters away from you. And you think, you know, like that. Or maybe it was the time when you were sitting in the uh, doctor's surgery, and you're about to get some news back on some tests, and you were fearing you know, what the results might be. Or maybe you're out walking one night and you get accosted by some bloke with a knife demanding your purse or your wallet. But you know the feeling, don't you? That sense of, you know, heart racing, like you've got a ton of bricks sitting on your chest, struggling to breathe. You know, that sense of, whoa, what is going on here? Terror. Well, that's exactly... Uh, the sort of situation that the shepherds found themselves in. The one we just heard from uh, Luke chapter 2. They're out in the fields at night, not, not washing their socks, but looking after their flocks. And these guys, let me say they're blue-collar types. Um, they're, they're tough guys. Uh, they, they, they made uh, Their job was to protect their sheep from predators like like wolves. They knew what it was like to deal with bully boy Roman soldiers. Right? These guys, they were used to that sort of treatment. And then we read Luke chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. L- literally, actually, it says they feared a great fear. Right? They were terrified, terrified. Uh, right? this, is, this is a big deal. In other words, they were scared witless. And the angel, uh, we're not talking about some sort of you know, chubby, cuddly koala type. Uh, this angel is a highly literate, you know, s- supernatural, Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of tough guy. You know, an, an ambassador from the creator of the universe that's been sent. And it's worse than that because we read in verse 9, I don't know if you picked it up, the glory of the Lord shone around them. What we're being told is here that night turns into day. Right? That's what's going on. And when it talks about glory, it's talking about the very presence of God, you know, showing up in this spot. And it's as if they get this, this portal into heaven. They get a glimpse of the God who breathed life and fire into the universe that's what's happening. Have you ever had that feeling, that sense of your, uh, your insignificance, your, your frailty, your sense of, you know, flawed humanity? Uh, maybe it's happened to you when you've been confronted by the vastness or the beauty of nature, you know, the sunset or that huge roaring surf and maybe it was that sense of there being so much more to life than you could even contain in your body. You know, that vastness. Well, these shepherds, they see God's representative shown up in person and they think, we're dead meat. <laughs> That's what's going on. They think, we are done for. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And then, this is what the angel says, Right? Do not be afraid. Right. (laughs) You know, sure thing. Let's whistle while we work. You know, like they're just scared out of their brains. But then they get the explanation that helps settle them. And you would have heard that as well. The angel explains, this is not a declaration of war. This is not a declaration of the judgment of God. This is exciting news. This is positive. This is God turning up to save. And you heard it. verse 11. The angel says the saviour has been born to you. The Messiah. The Lord. The angel saying this is the one that God has promised for hundreds of years. The rescuer. He is here. Verse 14. To bring peace on earth and he backs it up with the sign the evidence to show it's not just hollow words verse 11 in the town of david the savior has been born verse 12 you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger and then you get this this big finale this single angel is joined by a battalion of angels it's this massive choir now i uh, you know, a few decades ago, I remember going to rock concerts you know, where they really cranked the volume right up. And when they did that, you could feel it sort of reverberating through your body. You know. Can you imagine that sort of... Or maybe that's a bit lowbrow for you. Uh, maybe a, a concert handles Messiah or something, the Alleluia Chorus, that might be more... But you know the sense of that overwhelming volume and power that causes you know, the ground underneath your feet to shake. Let's, that's what's going on here. This is what they say. Glory to God in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And then the angels are gone. And the shepherds think, forget the sheep. <laughs> I mean, Forget them, let's go to town. Well, let's check it out. And they find Jesus, just as they've been promised. And, you, and they gossiped the news to anyone who'd listen, And people were just stunned. If you'd been one of those shepherds, uh, that would be a night that was just burnt into your brain. And you'd never forget that, would you? Uh, such an extraordinary occasion! You can imagine, can't you, those shepherds at their, you know, their their Christmas roast dinners, you know, for years to come, and uh, uh, all the kids and the grandchildren gathered around the table, uh, saying, "Come on, yeah, you know, Dad, come on, Grandpa, tell us about that night with the shepherds. Tell us again, you know, because it would have been that sort of story." And you can imagine they might have also said, uh, "You sure you weren't drinking?" You know, like. <laughs> But, of course, if you'd been there, no way. You knew what had happened. You knew exactly what had gone on. It was just such a powerful night. And yet it would have left a few unanswered questions, wouldn't it? Especially as year went on to year. Questions like a saviour. I mean, save us from what? After all, uh, these Roman soldiers, they still strut around the place like they own it. Saviour? And we're told he's the Lord. He's God. I mean, it was a spectacular night, but the circumstance of this this child's palace, but no palace. This is sort of feeding trough for animals. And the baby looked pretty ordinary, really, just sort of a baby, baby. You know, God Himself. Good news of great joy. Well, an exciting night. But life sort of just kept going on. You know, we've had thousands of nights since then, thousands of sheep. Everything just sort of seemed to be the same. Peace. Well, the Romans still run the country and people still rip each other off and they're still the same problems we've always had. Nothing much seems to have changed. And yet, if you're one of those shepherds, you would still have that lingering sense, the angels turned up, God was really there, there was something going on. And I wonder if you'd been there, if this is the question that might have keep rolling through your head as the years went on and the decades rolled on. This question. I wonder what happened to that kid in the manger, Jesus. I wonder what happened to him. So I want you to imagine that the years do roll by. Let's say 30 years or a bit more have rolled by. And uh, one of those shepherds said, let's give him a name. Let's call him Jacob. Right. 15 when he was in the field that night when the, uh, the angels turned up. Now he's in his late 40s. But he's never forgotten that night. I want you to imagine he hears about a guy who's doing some amazing stuff. Jesus, same name. Well, that's a reasonably common name, but same name. But things like, with just a touch, he heals crippled and blind people. Uh, Paraplegics, apparently, are walking. When he speaks, apparently, he can control weather. (laughs) Quite an amazing thing. And they say he's even brought dead people back to life. And when he opens the scriptures, it's as if God speaks right into your heart with extraordinary power and conviction. And he's about the right age, early 30s. And if you're Jacob, you're thinking, well, maybe it's him. Maybe it's the kid in the manger. So Jacob decides he'll check it out himself. And he hears that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, Jacob's always stuck around Bethlehem. That's sort of where he was born. That's where he hung around looking after his sheep. That less than a day's travel to Jerusalem. So he thinks, I'll take a long weekend off. I'll go up to the Big Smoke and I'll check it out myself and just see what's going on. So he makes the trip. Okay, and when he gets there, the place is in a complete uproar. And the reason is because Jesus has been arrested and he's brought before Pilate. And apparently, the crowd just bayed for his blood. And Pilate, who's a bit of a wussy leader, just tries to keep people happy, apparently gave into their demands and ordered for Jesus to be killed by a crucifixion. And Jacob hears it's going down today. So, what he does is he makes his way out to a little hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just in time to see Jesus, who's been nailed to a cross. Put up into that vertical position And he is in bad shape Beaten, uh, bloody Half dead already And so Jacob's standing there Looking at Jesus on the cross and thinking God? Messiah? Saviour? And then, some of the religious leaders who are hanging around the cross as well, they're giving Jesus a hard time, saying this. He saved others, let him save himself if he's God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, and the Roman soldiers, they get on the the act too. They say, well, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And Jacob is never like those smarmy, pretentious religious guys. You know, sort of... And he hates the Romans, right? So he's he's got great... And yet... And yet he thinks... Surely, if he was this promised one from God, he could just get hundreds of those ninja angels to turn up and sort out the problem. You know, like, surely... He could do that. And at this point, I reckon Jacob just feels deflated, maybe a little depressed even. And then when he's standing there, there are a couple of other guys getting uh, crucified at the same time and, and one of them joins in on the fun with the soldiers and the religious leaders and says to Jesus, he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And uh, Jacob's thinking a bit of a low blow from a guy who's about to die as well, you know. But there's always a pecking order, even in prison. That's that's the way it works. But there's another guy getting crucified on the other side of Jesus. And he, he jumps in at this point and says, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve, but this guy has done nothing wrong. And then, as much as you can on a cross, he turns to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom and Jacob's thinking, kingdom? This guy's just moments away from dying. And then Jesus, this is what he says. I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Big claim from a guy that's as good as dead. Dead. And then while Jacob's standing there, it's about the middle of the day, about about 12 o'clock noon, and suddenly the sun just stops shining. And Jacob looks up, not a cloud in the sky, but it's dark like night. And it just stays that way, even though it's the middle of the day. In fact, it stayed that way for three hours, plenty of time to think. As Jacob's standing there, his mind goes back 30 years and he remembers that night when night turned to day when God showed up. He thinks, and so now here we have day that's turned to night. God has shown up again. But, but what does it mean? And then while they're standing there, three hours, a long time to stand in the dark, this bloke from town turns up. And lets us all know that the curtain in the temple has been ripped right down the middle from top to bottom. And then for Jacob, it all starts to fall into place. Because that that curtain in the temple, that represented the barrier between people and God, between sinful people and a holy God, uh, the sense of my sins separating me from God himself. And every day in the temple, sacrifices of animals and birds and crops were made on their daily basis as the means for us dealing with our sin before God. Then once a year, the, uh, the senior high priest would duck behind that curtain and offer the big sacrifice Uh, For the sin of people on the day of atonement. What did the angels say? A saviour. The Messiah. The Lord. Peace. And then it starts to click in a place for Jacob. See this Jesus is the one God promised would bring peace. Not by uh, turfing the Romans out of the country but peace between us and God. And, and what's happening is this this baby born goes to a cross to actually save people from their obeying against God, their sin against God. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. No more temple, no more curtain, no more need. And just like on that... First night, 30 years prior, I wonder if Jacob went back home to Bethlehem, glorifying and praising God for all he'd heard and for all that he'd seen. Now, of course, I don't know if there are any shepherds there in Jerusalem when Jesus was killed. No? I, don't, I don't know. But actually, if you read to the end of Luke's Gospel... What you'll discover is the events did play out exactly the way I just described them. It's exactly the way what happened. And so here we come to another Christmas. For some of us, it's uh, my guess is close to 90, for others of us, not quite so many. And we're asking, what is Christmas all about? Friends, Christmas is about God sending his son Jesus on a rescue mission. And maybe as you come to the end of a year, uh, you're aware of major issues that you've faced or are still facing, issues to do with uh, health concerns or financial things that are crowding in on you or relationships that are strained or broken or maybe it's just a time that fills you with a sense of grief because of people that you've lost. Or actually maybe you head towards Christmas And everything's going really well. (laughs) It's just been—you couldn't want for things to go much better than what they are right now. Friends, God sent His Son into this world to save us from our biggest problem, and it's actually one we all share in common. It's the failure to treat God properly, and that's why Jesus was sent. Right at the end of uh, Luke's Gospel after Jesus had risen from the dead, after his crucifixion, he met with his closest friends. And this is what we're told. It's Luke 24, verse 45. Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations Uh, Jesus was born to die and it actually was for each one of us because at Christmas we remember that God has dealt with our biggest problem by sending his son to deal with our failure to treat him properly our sin to offer forgiveness and hope peace with God and it's actually offered for anyone who will turn and put their trust in him. And then right at the end of Luke's Gospel, uh, we're told that Jesus actually leaves his friends, he's lifted up into heaven. And you think, what's it got to be like? You know, the, their mentor, their closest friend, the most powerful influence in their life, suddenly taken from them. How do they feel? It's Luke 24 verse 52. We're told his disciples worshipped Jesus and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. With great joy. They worship him because Jesus is God and they celebrate because it's all come together and they get what Christmas is all about. They get the fact that the Saviour has been sent into the world. Well, my friends, as we head towards another Christmas, can I tell you that my prayer for all of us is that when you go home today, uh, your hearts will be full to overflowing and joy because you know that God sent his son Jesus and someone to save you from your sin. Because when you get that, your heart will be filled to overflowing, full of joy, full of thankfulness, full of celebration. Let me, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, this was a planned mission, really from before the foundation of the earth, that Jesus should come into this world. And Father, we know that for many, he wasn't the saviour they were expecting. And yet he is the saviour that we all need. And Father, we pray that you'll draw us close to yourself through a knowledge that Jesus makes it possible by his death, through forgiveness. And Father, we, we pray that for each of us, we'll have that truth squared away in our hearts and our minds so that we'll be settled about what the purpose of life is and actually the purpose of eternity, joy and peace that you provide through your Son. And we pray it in his name. Amen.